Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Silcox. In this week's edition of Insight, move over millennials. It's the new generation of insurance news and it's totally mega. Sure, I sound like an old boomer. Yeah, that's it. I've got nothing else. It's the global mega trends from those hipsters at CSIRO and insurance is trending. Megabyte. The East Coast floods are now the second most costly natural disaster and that bites. And my head spins as we look into several regulatory movements here and in the UK before I megavolt my way out of here. Hello, everyone. This week, I'm joined by editor John Deeks, deputy editor Wendy Pugh and chairman Terry McMullen. Hello, John. Hi. What mega are you? I'm mega excited because football finally came home thanks to our uh, lionesses. Very good. Very good. And hello, Wendy. Oh, good morning, Andrew. Wendy, it's clear to everyone that listens that you're the megastar of this podcast. Well, thank you, Andrew. I'm sure it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) And good morning, Terry. Good morning. Last on the bill today. Does that make you Omega? (laughs) Very good. Very good. Thanks. That's one for the classicists, uh, our millennial listener. The note singular probably won't understand that. On to this week's main stories. John, CSIRO have released a once in a decade report on global megatrends that hold the key to our future. Why is this relevant to insurance? Well, yes, this report was not designed to be aimed at the insurance industry. But when you have a look at these seven megatrends that the CSIRO has outlined, then you suddenly realise that actually all of them have huge ramifications for insurance. Top of the list is adapting to climate change, which of course we know all about. And the report does go into the insurance side of that with more frequent and severe weather conditions on the horizon and the fact that that is going to have a major impact on the affordability of insurance. But other trends include the transition to greener energy, which as we know, the insurance industry is at the heart of, health issues relating to the to the pandemic and an ageing population, geopolitical shifts. I mean, we've seen the impact that the war in Ukraine has had on supply chains and, and cyber attacks and so on. Diving into digital is another one, the rise of AI and unlocking the human dimension, which is uh, talking about public trust in institutions and businesses. Uh, and the push for diversity and work-life balance, et cetera. So, I mean, we've we've written about each one of those over, over the years. And, you know, reading this report is just a reminder, really, that there are huge trends out there which are going to change our industry over the next couple of decades. Well, Terry, which of the trends is the greatest threat to our industry? It's interesting, isn't it, that the CSIR report was, was so much like the, the Swiss Re report that we talked about recently. Climate change is obviously the leader of the pack, Andrew, and things like the drive for cleaner and greener ways of doing things. And that's a very wide subject indeed. So as to opportunity for the insurance industry, really in the risk game, all threats are opportunities. Both reports have pointed out the move to ever more sophisticated technologies as as both opportunity and threat. Uh, If you're the company IT guy, there's all those advances like quantum computing and AI. But if you're an underwriter, you're worrying about the myriad risks that are heading your way. So it just depends on where you sit in the office. And I think there's a great deal to think about in the moves by governments to a more open consumer environment where trust has become a huge driver. I I was surprised to see that in the CSIRO report, but delighted. I thought our analysis yesterday summed it all up 
for the insurance industry very well when it said the new consumer is aware and empowered and has high expectations. Insurance businesses are going to have to earn trust by meeting those expectations. And quite frankly, with risk products, that's never easy. Well, East Coast flood catastrophe losses have passed $5 billion now, John, and the event is now the second most costly natural disaster in Australia since records began. Yes, that's right. I remember the headlines early after this event were sort of suggesting that it might reach $2 billion in insured losses, and here we are at more than $5 billion now from 230,000 claims. So it really is a, a huge event. It's already the costliest flood event on record, but now it's the second costliest natural catastrophe on record. The only one still ahead of it is Sydney's 1999 hailstorm, which had losses, normalised losses of uh, $5.57 billion. So I guess you, you have to wonder, you know, claims do keep trickling in up to a year after an event. So you have to wonder if... Maybe it's going to get past that as well. We'll have to wait and see, but it's a huge event. Uh, On the positive side, we can say now that the insurance council has confirmed that 36% of those claims have now been finalised with $2 billion paid out. So that's pretty impressive, really, when you think about all the challenges that that we spoke about last week to have to have made that much progress already just four or five months on. Well, talking of claims payouts, Wendy, AFCA is going to have a closer look at insurers' claims handling. Well, within AFCA, there's a separate team that administers a number of codes of uh, practice, including the general insurance one. So the uh, Code Compliance and Monitoring GM Crew Monument um, says they've lined up a few areas of focus for inquiries this year and, and claims handling is one of those. And it sounds like they're going to have a look at how things have gone with the handling of claims after those recent floods as, as part of that. But, um, you know, generally at, a, at an AFCA presentation, they mentioned that they do expect to see more complaints coming through about those floods. So they expect they're going to be working with insurers this year over those issues. Also, ASIC is no longer taking a softly, softly approach on enforcing design and distribution obligations, Wendy. They've only acted on investment products so far, but do insurers need to take note? Well, yes, they do. Um, Well, ASIC placed a couple of um, interim from stop orders on those investment products because of failing is under design and distribution obligation laws. So those laws came into effect last October, but this has been the first time that ASIC has actually used those new powers. And when a lot of that regulation came into effect, at that time, there were a lot of other new things coming in at the same time, and ASIC said they were going to take that into account and not be too heavy-handed. But ASIC's Karen Chester says um, the focus now is on compliance, uh, and industry overall, which includes insurers, have had enough time to get everything in order. For an idiot like me, what is a design and distribution obligation? Well, basically, in this case, you're meant to have these target market uh, statements that say this product is aimed at this particular consumer and it's, you know, it's going to be uh, correctly, you know, so it's going to be of value to them and they're not going to try and sell them something useless. And in those cases where they issued interim stop orders, those target market statements were missing or not or not in order. So, yeah, it's just try- all trying to make sure the right product goes to the right consumer. Well, is the honeymoon period with ASIC over, Terry? I think in this case, yeah, the DDO regulations are a basic part of of the regulator's drive for transparency. So ASIC's not going to hold back. They have given us time to, to get ready 
and insurance is one of the industries that they will target. There are some basic things we, we need to get right. I think there's been a lot of work done, however, to, to meet these requirements. Well, meanwhile, there's also a new consumer duty being introduced in the UK, Wendy, as the FCA aims to become more assertive. Well, yes, it all sounds quite similar, really. Um, so they say they're um, raising the bar for uh, consumer protection with this new duty. So it sets out that firms, including insurers, have to provide suitable products and services, and it should be easy to switch or cancel, and that information provided has to be clear and timely. And in their words, that uh, there shouldn't be key details buried in lengthy terms and conditions that few people have time to read. FCA has also said the duty puts a focus on the diverse needs of uh, customers, including those in vulnerable circumstances. And they've given the industry um, or everyone uh, 12 months to make sure that they uh, are complying with these new arrangements. Do you think the Australian regulators will be taking note of this, Terry? Yes. The regulators have a a global organisation that that meets regularly somewhere exotic in the world. So there's a certain amount of uniformity in the approach of financial regulators from Europe, the UK, etc., so yes, our regulators and their counterparts all tend to sing from the song, sing from the same song sheet. What happens elsewhere with regulatory moves will will inevitably turn up in Australia. And finally, John, debate has continued on the side hustle issue and whether running a small business from home invalidates your home and contents cover. Yes, that's right. We had a lot of feedback on this one since our analysis last week took a look at the issue, primarily coming from from brokers and underwriting agencies that are saying, well, hey, if you're running a business from home, you're not supposed to just have home and contents. You do need specific cover and we can provide that. So there are plenty of underwriting agencies out there who provide specialist cover for people who, who run a business from home. And you can obviously go to a broker to access that cover. And that they sort of say that, you know, mainstream media are not really understanding the insurance issues at play here. And while that may be true, there, there could still be an issue, however, with those businesses that people don't really consider to be businesses like honesty boxes at the end of the drive or selling a few eggs to a neighbor and so on. So yeah, good points from the agencies and the brokers, but there may still be an issue out there. The Herald Sun has picked it up now as well as the ABC. And I was reading that piece and and the lawyer there who's acting for the original egg honesty box people who are going to court says that insurance maybe hasn't moved with the times as people have shifted to working from home and and doing side hustles from home. If that's the case, then they're going to be asking for the regulator ASIC to step in. I didn't realise selling eggs at the end of your street was a uh, new technology and a new uh, initiative. Well, Terry, can you see ASIC getting involved? Look, I really don't know who should get involved, but when you consider the number of people who are running little side businesses at home who could be affected, you know, we should be worried. At first glance, this whole thing looks like a step back into the last century where the insurance contract was really all that mattered. And the original decision, which I do want to be to be known henceforth as Honesty Box Gate, it involved claims managers and some serious review processes. So it's been through extensive scrutiny and no one seems to have thought the decision sucked. It might have been a good idea if it had gone to Africa because we we might have got a, a better idea of how they would think about it. But people will be asking why the issue of disclosure should have been used by an insurer to deny a claim 
that wasn't caused by a little egg honesty box. Uh, it's a bit, a little bit like that case we discussed last week where a life insurer denied a claim because the claimant had once used cocaine in a Las Vegas weekend and said it wouldn't have covered them if they'd known about them. And I, I find that hard to believe. But anyway, both cases that I've, I've mentioned there come across to the ordinary punter as attempts to find reasons not to pay a claim, which flies in the face of most of the things we've spoken about this morning in terms of building openness and consumer trust. So whether ASIC gets involved or not, let's see what happens. Well, on my excellent response, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Wendy Pugh and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. Mm-hmm.